there's, there's no denying that we will lose uh, businesses and restaurants and by the end of this, but those that do manage to hang on and survive through to, you know, to when times start to change again, I think we'll, there'll be, I think there'll be some opportunities. So yeah, it's not all doom and gloom, but uh, yeah, it's tough times regardless. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There are no words to explain how the residents of Victoria must be feeling in light of a stage four lockdown in Melbourne and reintroduction of stage three across regional Victoria. The first lockdown stopped the industry in its tracks. The second has a potential long-term ramifications on viability, employment, livelihoods, and mental health. The Deep in the Weeds Quick Bite episodes are meant to be a brief check-in with past guests. But with the concerning landscape in Victoria, this episode is anything but a quick bite. Michael Ryan is the owner of Provenance in the Victorian regional town of Beechworth. Michael, you've just been handed a cruel hand um, with a stage three lockdown across regional Victoria. Um, How are you feeling at the moment? I look, you know, we kind of, you couldn't help but think this is what was going to happen, you know, and there was that feeling uh, that something was coming, you know, the situation in Melbourne wasn't changing and progressively getting worse. So we just had a feeling that, you know, something had to give, something had to change. So it's not a complete surprise, but it's still still shocking nonetheless, of course. How have you felt as the cases have escalated and uh, there's been sort of all sorts of theories thrown around and, um, you know, there was the impending threat of a stage four and in reintroduction of stage three. What's this period been like for you the last month? Um, Business-wise, it was obviously we had experienced quite a downturn from the very busy period of after the the after party after the first lockdown uh like our accommodation had in our 11 years of operation had never been busier wow uh, the restaurant was full full every night as full as we could be but with our new model and with the size of our restaurant you know we could fit in 18 people but with you know one and a half resets we were pushing around 30 covers a night and it was quite viable for us particularly with the new menu format um, so yeah, they were, I mean, they were pretty, pretty good times for regional Victoria because people were desperate to get out after being locked down and there was nowhere else to go really. So their only choice was regional, um, or, you know, state-based travel, a bit of interstate travel as well, I guess. But, um, you know, that obviously all changed when uh, things started to go a bit south in Melbourne. And then also at the same time, all couple of weeks after that introduction of restrictions in Melbourne was the closing of the border, the New South Wales-Victorian border, which has affected us because we're only 100 k's from that, or sorry, 50 k's from that border. So uh, that was quite an impact. Like one of my staff, one of my staff members is in living in New South Wales and hasn't been able to come to work. So yeah, so we basically had no uh, source of customers from either Melbourne or Sydney or any other major regional areas in New South Wales. So <clears throat> yeah, it was we went back to two two to three days a week at that point. When we spoke to you the first time, it was really early on in the yeah. pandemic and 
you weren't really sure sort of what model you're going to do moving forward. What what did you change about the restaurant when you finally opened it up and and what was the response yeah. to it? So we we decided we we just couldn't afford to do a la carte because I mean like I said in that first episode it's an expensive option and and just you know more labor more wastage so at, we just figured it was a we really had to create a model that was very efficient and and good for us as well but also good for the customers as well so we looked at sort of minimizing contact between customers in front of house uh, so that's when we introduced like a, a four course menu but with 17 small dishes over four courses so just reducing that interaction between the front of house and and customers which is a little antithetical to hospitality but sort of where we're at and then uh, and it's received very well so sort of loosely based on that kaiseki format and customers loved it we loved it and i think uh, when we look at reopening i'll certainly keep that model because it's sort of a now point of difference for us and it's also uh, a model that I think even in non-restricted times I think people quite enjoy so so from from all of that I guess we we did sort of reinvent the restaurant a bit and, and it pushed us in new directions which we certainly wouldn't have considered previously I guess possibly wouldn't have been brave enough to do previously have you had conversations with your contemporaries in Melbourne with the circumstances that they're dealing with at the moment? Uh, a little bit. Um, like that's, that's another level of difficulty entirely, what's, what's happening in Melbourne. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough time for all those guys in Melbourne and tougher again. But, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's no denying that we will lose um, businesses and restaurants and by the end of this, but those that do manage to hang on and survive through to, you know, to when times start to change again, I think we'll, there'll be, a, I think there'll be some opportunities. So, yeah, it's not all doom and gloom, but uh, yeah, it's tough times regardless. So. What sort of impact do you think this is going to have on those working in the hospitality industry in Melbourne at the moment? Uh, it will, obviously, it will, there'll be a major shrinkage in the whole industry. I think it'll be a smaller industry. There'll be less staff. I mean, I'm already seeing lots of people in hospitality looking at reskilling, looking at, um, you know, a different career path, basically, because, you know, hospitality has always been, been a tough one, I guess. It's been, you know, it's not the easiest job in the world. Um, but, you know, this is just exacerbated that and, and made people realise perhaps that's not what they want to be doing for the rest of their life. So I think, yeah, there will be, it will just be a smaller industry all around for some time. How are you feeling about the future of your restaurant at the moment and your role in the industry, given the uncertainty at the moment in Victoria? Well, like I said, I feel, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word confident, but I just think like, you know, we are definitely going to get on top of this. There's no you know, we will um, bring down the numbers. We will get on top of it. I'm pretty confident of that. Um, and so I don't think that – I'm not sure what the next after-party <laughs> lockdown number two is going to be like. I think there will still be – I mean, it will still be based on people have been 
particularly in Melbourne, they'll be getting up to three months of sort of lockdowns. So they'll be, you know, a desperation to just get out to go anywhere, but possibly tempered with a little bit more wariness than than there was evident in the first um, after party, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I think I think there'll be a demand, but it's just such a unknown. I really, I think we'll be around, but who knows? I mean, <laughs> I hope to be around, but uh, I really sometimes you feel like you don't have complete control over what's happening, so you just got to sort of just work on each little bit at a time. I can't look at the whole the whole picture. I just got to work on this four weeks and then the next four weeks and then the next four weeks. You mentioned earlier that you're busier than you've ever been just after that first lockdown when everyone was, you know, eager to get out. How did how did you feel about that time? Were you were you concerned about a possible breakout with the that many people travelling at that period of time and and moving forward? Yeah, I mean it's always a yeah, it was always a consideration and certainly the first I'm sure everybody experienced the first few shifts opening up after the lockdown were just very just completely unsure of of the operating systems we should be doing and it was just a very it was a, it was a great unknown I guess but it, people are pretty adaptable and we quickly got into the sort of routine and it was pretty we thought we were running it pretty well and we got a lot of feedback but people felt that you know we were creating a, a safe environment for dining um, but yeah in the back of your mind you still I mean to have a positive case in your business would just be devastating because there's still a, you know there's still a lot of um, sort of negativity based on individual businesses where where cases pop up even though most of the time is completely beyond their control. So yeah, that that was always in the back of your mind. But you know, you had, your choice was operate your business or not. You couldn't really um, find a path in between of those, in between those. So so we just ran the business and just um, did the best we can in terms of cleanliness and hygiene and distancing and all that stuff. And yeah, we were lucky, I guess. So. And the whole area was lucky because the whole, sorry, the whole area, whole of Northeast hasn't had any, any um, diagnosed cases. So it's been pretty fortunate. Having experienced that first lockdown, what's this second one feel like? And are you are you approaching it differently? Um, well, we're actually on holidays. We chose, <laughs> we decided to have two weeks off from today because uh, there's a way to use up some holiday pay, and it was very, you know, like I said, we were down to two days a week, so. Um, and so yeah, two weeks holidays, which is not really, not going anywhere, obviously. Although I am, um, we were meant to be going to Bray and Igni for, for dinner and lunch this week. That's obviously cancelled, but, um, yeah, so I'm just, we are just having two weeks off doing nothing. So, um, well, I won't be doing nothing, but we're not running the restaurant in any sort of form. After that... We'll look at what we're going to do. We'll probably, again, do a small bit of takeaway, but that's really more almost a community service for a town the size of Beatsworth with 3,000 people. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, sake production that you've been working on? Uh, look, just starting, like I said, we've got a grant, uh, regional sort of produce grant to look at the 
possibility of producing sake in Beechworth. Um, there's a few major hurdles to producing sake in Australia, but that's sort of what part of the program is. There's a few people, like there's a, a guy called Matt who's doing Melbourne sake, uh, which is pretty interesting. So there's kind of a little sort of bubbling underground um, push to making craft sake in Australia. So we're certainly going to look at the viability of that in Beechworth. Just to, I guess it's all part of um, having more than one avenue of income rather than just relying on the restaurant because, you know, as has been shown, <laughs> you kind of do need to have a little bit of diversification, otherwise you can get pretty un unstuck. I know you're very inspired by um, Japan and Japanese techniques and sake as well. Uh, what is it you love about Japanese cuisine and culture? Um, I love it just partly because it is such a different culture. It's so different from Western culture. It's, it's um, got a, and a, and a uniqueness, I guess, for a, a lot of, compared to a lot of, I mean, every country is unique in its own form, but the uniqueness of Japanese is, is um, their, I guess, their passion and their um, attention to detail, particularly in the, oh, for me, obviously, for in the food scene. Um, it's just such a, it's a fun place to go to, really. And I think everybody has discovered that. I mean, the, the increase in travel to Japan in the last 15 years has been like 200% or something like that, which has created its own problems. But, um, um, yeah, and I love it. And I, and I guess because I've been going there so many times, I've got to know it at a, a level that, um, is difficult when you're just traveling to a country once or twice. So, um, you know, everybody seems to latch on to some place or some country that they really enjoy traveling to. So, uh, it could, it could have, could have been somewhere else for me, but, uh, Tokyo and Japan in general is a place I've been back so many times. It just feels like a kind of a second home now. So I certainly miss it at the moment. I'm meant to be there in October, but that's not going to happen. How do you translate that in Australia and in, in the in the restaurant? Is there any dishes that you could tell us about that speak of your food? Um, like a, I guess in turn, we're not a Japanese restaurant. Um, what we do do is sort of Japanese ingredients and techniques, and and I guess um, specifically like you know, dashi is is at the base of our um, of all of our cooking. As, as it is in, in Japanese cooking. So instead of, you know, sort of the traditional Western stocks that we're familiar with, dashi is the Japanese equivalent and it's underlying all Japanese dishes. And it's and it has an aroma that when people smell it, particularly if they've travelled to Japan, when they smell that aroma of dashi, it sort of takes them straight back to mm. to their travel in Japan. I get that comment quite a lot. It's Absolutely. Nice to hear it's been a difficult period of time for so many operators, but what are some of the positives that have come to light for you during this time? Um, for me, I guess uh, I guess the biggest one is the ability to step back and look at your business from the outside. You know, having a bit more time to to address things that you normally just wouldn't have had time or the energy to do so. Like, 
for example, now I've got another six weeks to come up with a new menu, which, <laughs> which is pretty unheard of. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that is the main thing. It's made us look at our business model and our, you know, and, and just the restaurant in general, like from decor, from interior to, uh, um, you know, more mundane things. But just sometimes when you're running a business, you just sort of, you're running it day to day. And especially if you're working in the business, which generally with small restaurants you are, it's really hard to sort of step back and look at it holistically. But yeah, certainly give us a chance to remodel our restaurant. Um, and we think we've done that fairly successfully. Obviously, all we need now is customers, which we don't have. But <laughs> um, when they do come, we're, we'll, we'll be ready, we think. Regional restaurants have really come to the fore in the last decade in Australia, and particularly Victorian regional restaurants. Um, there's some extraordinary ones across the whole state. How, how do you think this is going to impact them moving forward? Uh, look, like I said, I think there'll be there'll, there will be demand for travel in in Australia because you know for some time that will be the only option, and even for ourselves, it's sort of you, you, it was so easy to travel overseas and possibly possibly too easy. I don't know how you know we've come to the realization that those mega cheap airfares just how sustainable were they, and so uh, it was. So it was as easy to travel overseas and sometimes cheaper to travel overseas than travel in your own country. So uh, as fantastic as that was, and I certainly enjoyed it, I just, you know, you've got to think about how sustainable that was. And you kind of, because it's so easy to travel overseas, uh, you forget about your own regions. So um, I think for a lot of people, they'll rediscover parts of Australia they mightn't have given much thought to for a while and certainly the road trip will be a a great thing again which was you know when I was growing up which was, well, some time ago the road trip was, for us was the Australian holiday that's what we did as a holiday so now the Australian holiday or well, until recently the Australian holiday was often a trip overseas so um or the rather the holiday for Australians was a trip overseas so uh yeah I think there'll be Hopefully, you know, I can't predict exactly what's going to happen, but I hopefully see a, a like a rebirth of the regional travel in Australia. What's some of the road trips from your youth that you remember that you can tell us about? Some pretty horrific ones. <laughs> but we were a big family, seven people, seven wow. kids, two adults. Uh, I think travelling with a caravan, like, Two and a half thousand k trip round up through Flinders, ranges over to Broken Hill, around. But uh, I did actually did that road trip from Adelaide through Broken Hill last year, and then back down through Mildura. And I just loved it. It was such a such a beautiful part of the world, and just beautiful colours and beautiful country. And, and I kind of really was surprised how much I enjoyed Broken Hill. Uh, great little country town. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, there's plenty of great road trips in Australia. You've experienced uh, lots of things in your career and uh, you're one of Australia's most noted restaurateurs. What advice would you have for people to navigate through this period in Victoria where everything is so uncertain? 
Yeah, like, uh, I, I guess um, like we're all experiencing the same situation, but all of our individual circumstances are quite different. So it's hard to, I guess, generalise across all all businesses. But certainly for us, was uh, it's always been for the since the start of the whole um, chip fight. It's been uh, us minimising our our costs and exposure of debt and just um, being, we're a smaller restaurant than we were, we're um, on all levels, we're smaller wine list, smaller menu, um, smaller operating hours, but some often think we're actually better for it. Um, and like uh, we made a point of not having too many debts to carry through this this period, so we made a point at the start of the first lockdown of paying all of our debtors, um, which was important to us because we knew that we would still need them even during the lock first lockdown, and also because we, you know, they they were struggling as much as anybody else, and we've always felt that not, you know, not paying debtors is, you know, essentially stealing really because <laughs> it, it's not your money; it's their money. So. Uh, yeah, that, that was a, a big point for us to make sure we had very few debts coming into this. And so we're, we're actually in a, it's particularly after the, the busy seven week period we had after the lockdown, we're in a reasonable situation to hopefully weather this particular uh, or this next hurdle, I guess. So, but, you know, it, it's just that real unknown, I guess, about the, the future. So. Um, we're being very conservative in everything we do. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're taking the time for a break and a, and a short holiday, even though you're not travelling anywhere. Yeah, I might just, you know, just go from one room to the next. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually, I am, I'm going to spend this week, couple of weeks setting up my, my Koji fermentation chamber, so uh, kind of looking forward to that. Well, really appreciate your time and um, it's been really good to catch up even though the circumstances aren't fantastic uh, good luck with the next period of time and hopefully next time we speak to you you've got a full restaurant and um everything's back to some sort of level of normality yeah yeah we're really uh, really looking forward to that we, i mean we loved that that six seven week period between these two lockdowns where we uh, really could um operate our business at essentially as full capacity as we could Given the, given the restrictions and everybody loved it. Our staff loved it, customers loved it and we're very keen to get back in and do that again. But uh, when that will be, is yet to be decided, obviously. All right, mate, we'll stay safe and um, good luck and we'll talk soon. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>